Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Today, we continue to think about the very real spiritual battles that we men have to fight every day. When I look at the words Paul used to describe our opponents, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, this stark reality brings fear to my heart. This sobering reality helps explain why Christians aren't more sanctified and having more influence in the world. Since we have to fight those powers, just trying hard won't work. We need to understand what the spiritual armor of Christ is and what it means to put it on. Very frankly, if we don't learn to put on the armor that Christ gives us, we will be so hopelessly outmatched that we're going to fail. So this episode is an attempt to answer the questions, what is the breastplate of righteousness and what does it mean to put it on? Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 25 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. May I ask a question? I guess speaking into a mic, it's rhetorical. But what is your gut response to the word righteous? What comes to mind when you hear Bill is consumed with being righteous or Sally is focused on her own righteousness? Often this word is not appealing to us at all. The reason is that it has many very unfortunate, very mistaken connotations. Let's try to distinguish the rich biblical meaning of this word from our sadly mistaken default ideas. First, the biblical concept of righteousness does not at all imply self-righteousness. The Greek word dikaiosine means that which conforms to the moral will of God. This word does not carry with it in any way the idea that this righteousness is earned, that it reflects an overestimation of one's own righteousness, or that this righteousness is in any way a basis for self-justification. Second, dikaiosine, the word for righteousness, is not used in the Bible primarily to describe the imputed righteousness of Christ to us. Rather, its more common use is a call to righteousness of character. It is true that we are justified by grace through faith alone. In response to faith, as a one-time act of grace, Christ has declared us legally righteous, The law has no claim against us to condemn us for our sin. But the term righteousness has a much richer meaning in Scripture than just justification, a one-time act. Believers are urged to continually seek the righteousness of God. Third, biblical righteousness is not legalism. Legalism's focus is on outward rule-keeping. It loads its proponents down with extreme application of the law, which its advocates make binding. Here's an example. No one should send their kids to public school. Or everyone should keep the Sabbath the way we do. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Their external self-righteousness, their nitpicking over application, was never real righteousness at all. 
Fourth, righteousness is not moralism. Moralism is obeying the moral law as a bargaining chip with God. Moralists might trust Christ for salvation, but are insecure in their love relationship with God. They aren't sure God will love them if they don't behave. Instead of the freedom to bask in God's unconditional love, a moralist tries to control God's behavior towards him by being good. Their obedience to God empowers them to demand that God bless them in the ways they expect blessing. And when God doesn't do that, their faith is shattered. Meanwhile, the moral law oppresses them because they have to keep it for God to love them. However, as Steve Brown says, only those who know God will love them, even if they never get better, will ever get any better. When they understand God's unconditional love, they will love the moral law and pursue true righteousness with all their hearts. It is God's path to life and to pleasing him. The truth is that righteousness, dikaiosune, is a very good word, and that seeking righteousness is profoundly central to our mission as Christ followers. Let's zoom in and see how righteousness fits into our mission. First, seeking righteousness is to be our highest priority. Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Christ's mission was to invade Adam's kingdom, overthrow its invaders, Satan, sin, and death, and begin to fix everything broken by sin. Jesus is making everything right that is, free from sin. If we think that pursuing righteousness means keeping a bunch of legalistic rules, we have missed the concept of righteousness, which comes from rightness. It is joining Jesus as he makes right whatever in Adam's kingdom was made wrong by sin. Believers love the moral law of God because it shows them how life was designed to be lived. David sang to God, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The second reason we should seek righteousness in our own lives is because that is God's purpose in redeeming us. Jesus, as he launched his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, quoted the great messianic passage of Isaiah 61, which says that God's purpose was to turn his people into oaks of righteousness. You'll recognize the passage, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
The third reason that we should pursue righteousness is that the fourth beatitude, which shows us the character of Christ, calls us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. John MacArthur writes, This beatitude speaks of strong desire, of driving pursuit, of a passionate force inside the soul. It has to do with ambition, ambition of the right sort, whose object is to honor, obey, and glorify God by partaking of his righteousness. This holy ambition is in great contrast to the common ambitions of men to gratify their own lusts, accomplish their own goals, and satisfy their own egos. The fourth reason for seeking righteousness of character is that it is not legalistic. It is, in fact, the proper response to God's grace. That is spelled out in Scripture as the way to love God back. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 6, we read, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Jesus taught the same thing. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Christ followers hunger and thirst for righteousness in their lives and over the world because they know that is what is best for themselves and all creation. They also know that seeking righteousness, dikaiosune, that is that which conforms to the moral will of God, is the best way to please him. Having said that, we must also say loudly that righteous character and righteous behavior is impossible to achieve apart from being in Christ, depending upon him for strength. When Paul challenged Christ followers to put on the armor of God, he was not only thinking of the Roman guards around him, but of Isaiah's prophecy that only the Lord himself could come to establish righteousness over the earth. Isaiah's prophecy tells us that the Messiah would, quote, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. We are to passionately pursue righteousness in our character and rightness for the things broken by the reign of sin. But we are reminded that it is only in Christ, that is through our abiding relationship with him and using his supernatural armor, that righteousness can prevail. So let's look at four ways that the breastplate of righteousness is protection. The breastplate was the piece of armor that ran from the neck to the middle of the body. It protected the vital internal organs, especially the heart. We have seen what righteousness is. It's conformity to the moral will of God. That is the moral law. We now examine four practical ways that righteousness protects our heart. First, imputed righteousness protects our hearts from the devil's accusations. Knowing that Christ's righteousness is credited to us, justification, means there is no legitimate accusation against us. The judge himself has declared us doubly not guilty. Number one, because all of our sins were laid on Christ and paid for at the cross. And number two, because Jesus' perfect straight A, moral report card, has had Jesus' name erased and ours written in. So if you put this breastplate on, which says across the chest, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, 
Satan, the accuser of believers, cannot get through to weaken you with words like, you hypocrite, do you really think a holy God wants to hear you talk again with him about your sin? Or, if you were really sorry, you wouldn't commit that sin again. Or, how dare you try to be the spiritual leader of your home? If your family knew your thought life, they would never want to follow you. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness means reminding ourselves that we are declared righteous by the judge himself. Number two, righteous character protects us from harm. Proverbs 13.6 says, Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner. Or Proverbs 21.21, He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. Or Proverbs 12.28, In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. God is not a pragmatist. The ends do not justify the means. Often we are tempted to fulfill a legitimate goal the wrong way. In the fourth beatitude, Jesus teaches that the wrong way never truly satisfies. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Making a commitment to be scrupulously honest in business helps protect us from the temptation to bend corners when we have the opportunity. Putting their bodies on the altar and making a commitment to God's standards for sex helps protect a couple from temptation before marriage. Deciding ahead of the party how many drinks are enough helps avoid too many. Job, who was known for being righteous, made a covenant with his eyes to not look lustfully upon a woman ahead of the temptation. So pursuing righteousness, that is conforming our lives to God's moral law, brings enormous protection to our lives, just as the breastplate protected Roman soldiers. Third, righteous character protects us from misunderstanding the Lord's leading. Proverbs 10.9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Proverbs 11.5, the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. When seeking the Lord's leading, it is vital to settle the issue first that you will obey God, even if it is the decision you do not want. That is leading from righteousness. By intentionally putting this decision on the altar, giving God his right to rule you, which is what righteousness really is, it protects your heart from steering you in the wrong direction. Twice God warns us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, both Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. A prior commitment to doing the right thing is putting on the armor of righteousness, it helps protect our hearts from being enticed by temptation and pulled in the wrong direction. 
Number four, righteous character protects us from being trapped or snared by sin. Proverbs 29.6, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Proverbs 11.6, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. Consider the differences in the way Joseph resisted the allurement of Potiphar's wife and the way David yielded to the alluring sight of Bathsheba. When Potiphar's wife first sought to seduce him, Joseph answered her, Potiphar has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It appears by his reasoned response to her that Joseph was already committed to righteousness before the temptation struck. In contrast, David did not have a breastplate of righteousness protecting him. By the time he saw Bathsheba on the rooftop, David had been consistently violating God's command that Israel's kings must not multiply wives. That text in Deuteronomy 17.17 says, You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. He shall not, however, acquire many wives for himself. David had already married six women when he looked down on the bathing Bathsheba and decided he wanted her too. His breastplate of righteousness had gaping holes when it came to sexuality. Not only that, but the biblical account of this tragedy begins in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David remained at Jerusalem. The implication is that David never should have been home but with his troops in battle. It is entirely possible that Bathsheba was in the position of being exposed to eyes on the palace roof because she expected no men to be there. David's disloyalty to his troops is amplified in the biblical account by its contrast to the loyalty of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. David's scheme to make others think the baby was Uriah's failed because when Uriah reported home to David, he refused to have sex with his wife out of loyalty to his troops, who were not with their wives, but on the battlefield. David's breastplate of righteousness, loyalty to his troops, was down. Temptation penetrated his heart and brought devastating consequences. We all face the same forces that took David down a deep-rooted sinful nature, and powerful spiritual enemies who know just how to get us to yield to sin. In this world, we are going to fail a lot, but affirming our commitment to righteousness, to doing things the way God's moral law shows us to live, is preemptive protection very often for our hearts. It is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. summarize this episode, it's sad that in today's world, righteousness is understood to mean self-righteousness, works righteousness, or legalism. It does not. Rather, righteousness, dikaiosune, is conformity to the moral will of God, given in love to mankind as the way life is to be lived. For Christians, righteousness is to be sought as the highest of priorities and longed for like a starving man longs for food. 
Righteousness is also a form of protection in spiritual warfare. The breastplate of righteousness protects us in the spiritual battle with sin. For prayerful thought, number one, what's the difference between seeking righteousness and legalism? What is the difference between seeking righteousness and moralism? Number two, how would you summarize Paul's command to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Number three, how does the breastplate of righteousness protect the heart? Next week, we begin a May series entitled Raising Godly, Confident, Feminine Daughters in Today's World. We need to lay aside both the gender stereotypes of the traditionalism in the 50s and the modern-day cultural narrative that differences in gender are insignificant. We want to press to a biblical perspective. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives.